Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you took a moment this morning that you pause us that we might hear from you. And Lord, I thank you also that you bring us to the end of ourselves that we might really understand that in and of ourselves and of the powers of this world, we have nothing that can, can bring us into the joy that we're made for. That we need your spirit to do that. We need your spirit to write your words into our hearts. Lord, I pray that we would receive fully this morning everything that you have for us and that we would, with Jesus, glorify your name. And pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Every once in a while when I come into a, a sermon, um, I feel like, man, I've got, I've, I just don't know what I'm supposed to really focus on. You know, I'm, I'm praying, I've certainly spent time in the Word, and um, then I come to the Sunday morning and, and like, I got nothing. And uh, that's how I woke up this morning. I still feel that way, by the way. So you can pray for me as I speak because I, I, have, I have no idea what God wants to do with this sermon now. Does that make you feel uneasy? <laughs> it, you know, it makes me feel a little bit uneasy, but I'm also, I was blessed by a prayer that John um, Trailer prayed for me this morning. He just says, I see John leaning into the Lord's breast and listening to him. And I see Jesus leaning into the Father's heart and listening to him. And he said, that's just what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to listen to the word that Jesus is speaking to you now in the spirit, the one that he's emphasizing right now, and then just share that. Because really, what our lives has to be about is entering into a living conversation and a living relationship with Jesus. And it has to be right now. I mean, it can't just be, life cannot just be about a bunch of principles that you try and learn, and then you get it down, and then you enact it, because now you know the philosophy of life. Now you know the art of living and you can master it as if you can master like a, a formula in chemistry or something like that. And actually life is really much different and it is, it's kind of like what was happening for Becca and, and I, you know, Becca, you're gonna keep on praying, I'm sure, but sometimes the Lord just stops us in our tracks to get our attention because he wants, wants to speak something right now to us. There's, um, you know, we're looking at the Greek, uh, the passage this morning about the Greeks that come to Jesus in the gospel. And uh, one of the things that occurred to me is the Greek way of thinking is very much oriented to, like, a, it's a philosophical mindset. And you're trying to discern principles, maybe principles about creation, philosophical principles. And then you're trying to live in that wisdom. And that's why Paul, for instance, says the cross is foolishness to the Greeks because they're really concerned about wisdom. And a lot of times they try and reduce it to a set of concepts that if you really learn them, maybe you'd have some kind of mastery in life. I think in many respects, uh, Jesus is having to deal with this amongst the Jews as well. You know, in the, uh, I think it's in John 5, he talks about, the, he's talking to the Pharisees, you, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have life. 
And the thing is that Jesus is speaking to them. And he is God become flesh. And they don't hear him. And they can't hear him, he says, because they have a different father. They're listening to a father who lies. And so they can't really hear the father who speak words of truth that lead to life. And Jesus is, of course, the word become flesh. He is the fullest expression of how it is that we can know God because he is God become flesh. So everything about him is speaking to us and trying to get our attention, trying to stop us in our tracks so that we can hear the words of life and feast on them, so that we can receive everything that Jesus is and has to offer, his body and his blood even. You know, the Greeks come to him in our passage from the gospel this morning and they want to see Jesus. I don't know exactly what prompts them. I mean, we know that Jesus' response is going to be exactly what they need to hear because he knows how to, he knows men's hearts. It says that in John. So he knows men's hearts. So whatever he's saying here is the perfect response to the Greeks, the perfect response to those who would come saying, hey, we have an understanding that there's something happening here and maybe finally there's a chance that we could get a view into what life is all about and how to live it, maybe. And he has a response to them. And it's the perfect response. What's happened right before this passage, I think, is maybe good context to remind you of. He's just come in. We're going to be celebrating um, his entrance into Jerusalem next week on Palm Sunday. That's right immediately preceding this moment is this incredible greeting of Jesus as he's coming in on a donkey. And there's lots of enthusiasm. In other words, he's a, phenom- he's a phenom, right? Isn't that how they say it? There's something amazing happening. It's a phenomenal thing, right? And there's all of this, um, this witnessing and testimony going on about how he had just raised Lazarus from the dead. And so there's a lot of speculation about who is this person? Who is this prophet? And Jesus is the prophet that was foretold. He is the anointed one. And, and actually, I, I love, I mean, John continuously is speaking about what I'm, I, I think I was supposed to speak on today, which is that the true prophet is the one who speaks the words, every word that God has commanded. That's how Moses describes the greater prophet who's going to come after him is one who speaks every word that God commands him, and that's what Jesus does. He brings us into the conversation. He perfectly renders those words. And everything that he does is what he sees the Father doing, and then he brings it to life in earth, in his body, in his words. He brings it to life, and it happens. And so with these Greeks, I think they're, they're hoping that in some way they're going to get insight maybe, wisdom into how they're supposed to live. And, um, and Jesus is going to focus them on something that I think is kind of surprising. He focuses them on his cross. He focuses them on the sacrifice. So Paul says that, um, you know, the cross is foolishness to Greeks and a scandal to the Jews. But that's right where John is at, too. He's like focusing them on the cross. They're seeking perhaps a wisdom. You know, the, the Greeks also... Um, they talk a lot about the, the psyche or the soul. We talk about it in this language. We think about things like self-improvement. Like even in the Christian world, like the number one books and the bestsellers, I think for something like the last 10 years, have all been kind of like self-improvement. 
books. As if we could master life and, you know, get a few principles and exercise those principles, and now we're masters of life. It's really interesting that that started to infect the way that we approach our own Christianity. The Greeks were very much like that. They were the ones who talked about virtue philosophy. You guys know what that is? It's, it's this idea that you can embrace a life of wisdom and you can exercise a whole bunch of different skills in your life like justice and wisdom and temperance and then you'll have the full life and it's a fruitful life. They had their own idea about how you do that. But Jesus is pointing to something quite different. In fact, he says, he says of himself, he says, the Father loves me and is pleased with me because I laid down my life that I might take it up again. That's a different philosophy of life, isn't it? And the way that he puts it in our passage today also is not a self-improvement passage that I would suggest if I was gonna you know, try and get a bestseller. He says, now is the time for the Son of Man to be glorified, which is a very prominent picture in scripture of like, what is the glorious reality that we're all hoping for. We're hoping for a divine revelation. And in the, in the prophecies of the Old Testament, it's a massive inbreaking of God, even in the heavenlies. And the Son of Man comes riding on the clouds to save his people. And that's the Messiah, the Messiah picture, out of the world. And he's going to save them in that fashion. So he's speaking about a very, he's in, introducing a very powerful image of glory. And the Greeks are interested in glory. They talk about it a lot. Even the Olympics, just as an example, it's the kind of thing that they're interested in. Um, there's te there tends to be two things that Greeks talk about. One is this way of Apollos, right? And that's mostly what I'm talking about today. The Apollinarian approach to life. That you can actually polish life. You can master life. You can make it look really good. And our culture is still obsessed with this idea. But Jesus is coming in and doing something quite opposite. And it's foolish, it, it appears. He's saying... Now is the time for the Son of Man to be glorified, and then he explains what that is. I mean, Jesus is in the business, and it says right at the beginning of John's Gospel, he is explaining who God really is and what God is really like. And he's going, he's bringing it to a very, very fine point, a very intense point right now. And he's saying, now is the time for the Son of Man to be glorified, and he talks about the grain of wheat grain of wheat that has to fall into the ground and die or it remains alone. But if it dies, it will bear much fruit and it won't be alone. You know, um, one of the things that is happening for Jesus is he's getting a lot of phenomenal attention. He's getting a lot of accolades from the world. And it does look like, at least for the moment, Maybe he really does have this philosophy of life that you could tap into. But he's making it really clear that no, if you really want to get a picture of what life looks like, look at him on the cross. John says it, John the Baptist says it, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Later in John's gospel he says, you will look on me when you've raised me up and then you will know that I am God. 
And he's pointing to the kind of salvation that John is very interested in conveying because he was there at the cross. He did behold Jesus when his side was pierced. He was there with Mary. And in that moment, he realized something about what it means to be human. He realized something about what God is trying to show humanity about what it means to be human and what God is like. And he wants us to enter into that way too. He is that grain of wheat that falls into the ground and dies and then bears much fruit. He's been saying, I'm the bread of life. How do you make bread except by grain? And, and how do you get grain except that it grow? And then you harvest the crop and then you make the bread and you grind it up and make it into flour and then you bake it. And he's saying, I am the bread of life. I've come into the world for this reason. So you have to, if you want to partake of me, this is, that you've got to begin to accept something that's very contrary to our way of life. So it is a way of dying to yourself. If you don't die to yourself in the way of the world, you will be alone. If you don't die to yourself in the ways of getting principles and wisdom and exercising power, you are going to be alone. I think um, one of the things that I see in pastoral care more than anything else is fear that plays to power. Fear that says, I've got to figure this out so that I can master life and not be subject to things like somebody taking advantage of me or death that fear, it just militates against real life. That fear that punts to principles, that punts to power, which is what the Greek way would want to do. And even the Jews are caught up in it in, in this day. They want to maintain themselves. They are afraid. And so they want to save themselves. And it's not going to work. They're going to die if that's the method that they, they use. And Jesus is suggesting a different way. And it's a way of release. It's a way of letting go. It's actually dying to that temptation. It's dying to the sense of self that you could build it. It's dying to the sense of self that you could become phenomenal yourself. It's dying to the sense of self that you want the accolades and the glory of men. This is a glory that Jesus is talking about, but it's not gonna come because you've achieved it. It's not gonna come because men and women are acclaiming you. It's going to come because God has blessed you and you're with Jesus in the midst of his sacrifice and you're really with him who is so with you. This is the way of glory that Jesus talks about. Now, that... I think what, what I want to say about this way of glory, and it, it, fear is a, is a big problem, isn't it? I mean, that's, that's why we're driven to try and take care of ourselves. And I think what John wants to emphasize here is that Jesus enters into the fear too because he admits that his soul is troubled. I mean, this is really troubling what I'm suggesting and what Jesus is teaching, is that you actually let go of the grip and you actually let go of the grasp. And you take that whole approach to life and you let it die. And that's troubling because what's going to happen? 
But Jesus says it was actually for that purpose that he'd come. You know, all throughout John's gospel, up until this moment, he's been saying, my hour hasn't come yet. This is the hour that everything has been headed towards. This is the hour of his glory. And John is really clear that his glory includes going up on the cross, and it also includes his resurrection and his ascension. That's when he's lifted up. And in that moment, that's when he draws people to himself. And in that moment, that's when the real revelation of what love love looks like that conquers death, and what love looks like that drives out fear, and what love looks like that covers a multitude of sins, that's what it looks like. And so we can let go of fear and we can let go of our desperate attempt to try and assert our own lives and preserve our own lives and to self-improve our way into heaven. We can let go of it because this is how he's going to bring glory. You know, there's also in this moment a voice from heaven. I have glorified my name and I will glorify it again. It was like a thunder. And some people just thought it was thunder and some people thought it was an angel. And Jesus says, it was for their sake that this happened. It was another sign that what's going on here is really of divine import. He doesn't want us to miss it. He wants us to stop and to pause and to receive it. I have a a friend who's a, a, a psychiatrist. He's a Jewish man. And um, I remember he he's works on the East Coast. He c- continues to practice and uh, a brilliant, brilliant guy. And he was a Jungian ana- analyst in, in psychology and eventually figured out that there was a lot of things about Jung, a particular psychological model, which while good, had a lot of problems with it too. The problems were that Jung had got into multiple looked at different myths and looked at different religions and he kind of reduced it to a set of principles and called it the monomyth. And that really his project was to say, I'm gonna like get into Jesus and I'm gonna get into Buddha and get into um, you know, all the other religions and all the other myths and I'm gonna reduce it to a set of principles and a single story and once I've done that, I kind of get it. And that's what we need to do in order to come to enlightenment. And I was going, and, and my, my, my friend, the psychiatrist, his name was Jeff, he said, you know, he basically came to the conclusion that that actually is a form of deception. What we really need is to encounter the living God. And what we really need in particular is to encounter the living God who pours out his love in such a profound and sacrificial way on the cross, who actually dies to himself to show us that if we try and save ourselves, we are actually more, we're, we're going to die. And, and in his study, when you enter into his office, there's this picture of Mary holding Jesus after he's been taken down from the cross. And I said, wow. That's, that's a beautiful picture. And he was still like not, not totally fully Christian yet and, and yet very much about wanting to follow Jesus. And um, he said, well, that's the picture that, transform, that touches the heart and transforms life. That is. 
he eventually did come to a really profound encounter with Jesus that was very, very personal. It was very real. And it really was a speaking to him personally and a reaching out to him in a very personal way. But one of the things that had to happen is he had to, he had to actually repent of his whole project. He actually had to repent of his idea that he could build his own life. As he was on the same project that Young was. He said, if I could just figure out a whole bunch of principles and, and distill them down and then live it out, I will have the wisdom that I can give to everybody else. And it wasn't until he had really encountered Jesus, the one who died for him, the one who laid down his life, the one who therefore is not alone, that he began to have life. And Jesus is pretty clear in the earlier part of John and then later on in John that it's exactly at the moment when you, you would expect that you're most alone in the dying. When you actually give up the project of asserting yourself and building your own self and you die to that, that you would assume that's, that's really the most alone you could ever feel. And what Jesus is really clear about is the Father is with him every step of the way. The Father has never left him alone, and the Father's pleased with him in this way of giving up. And so he has an honor that's coming from the Father. He has a light of presence that's coming from the Father. The presence of the Father is with him and never leaves his side, especially in that moment where he then can entrust his spirit to the Father. And we also know that out of that gift, Jesus gathers around him disciples who had previously been scattered. They come back. And then he sends forth the Spirit later on, which is the whole reason that he came, that that, that body which is his would be filled with the yeast of the Spirit and that they too would ha enter into that conversation with God with, of living words and a living conversation and that they too would be able to lay down their lives as many of them did. That they too would be able to abandon the project of trying to erect their own lives and to control their way into safety and to control their way into glory. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, Lord, I confess that, that I am one of those who falls prey to the deception that if I could just figure it out, I could, um, I could master life. Lord, I thank you that your way, your way of the cross, your way of love is, is uh, such a revelation of who you are, that we can encounter God in you, particularly in that moment. Lord, this is a mystery that for us, if we've particularly, Lord, if we've not encountered you before and we're on this side of a real salvation experience, I pray for any of us who find ourselves in that position that you would use this coming Holy Week to draw us very near to your side, to draw us very near to your heart that is beating with love for each of them, that will be, um, will remember the piercing of your love for them. That they would be born from above, that they would live from above, that they would have your spirit written into their hearts, and that they would know you, Lord, not as a set of principles, but they would know you as the living God that you're speaking to them even as you spoke to the disciples through Jesus, that you're speaking to them even now, 
and especially in that very poignant place of your suffering and your death, which is the place of true salvation. Lord, I pray in these final days of Lent that we would come to the end of ourselves. Any sense of self, Lord, that we are in charge of and in control of and that we are exerting by our own powers in the wisdom of this world, Lord, I pray that you'd bring it to an end and that you would instead raise us up into a true communion with many, with our brothers and sisters, Lord, but especially with you, that we would know ourselves to be your younger siblings, that we would know ourselves to be sons and daughters of your father, that we would know ourselves to be family, that we belong, that we'll never be left alone because we have died to our loneliness. We have died to our attempt to do this by ourselves. Lord, do this work in us by your spirit through your mercies which are new every morning. And so this morning, Lord, we lift up our hearts to you as we look up to you Transform us, Lord. Touch us and transform us. Make our hearts ready to receive everything that you have for us in this coming Holy Week. We pray this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.